Just last week, we started a new series through the Sermon on the Mount called The Jesus Life. It's a description of what it's like to be, what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And in the interest of time and everything this morning, I just want to jump right into it, jump right into looking at God's Word together. So I invite you to get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5 where we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. And by the way, to everybody joining us online, hello. We're glad that you're here. Say, say hi to everybody online. Hello. Hey. All right. There are some people there every Sunday that are joining us, and we're conscious of their presence with us today and uh, want them to know that we're thinking of you from here in the auditorium together. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus has just gone through the Beatitudes, and then he says to those who are listening to him, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want to give you a quiz this morning. If you were to want to get a message out to as many people as you possibly could, what medium would be the best medium to get it out there? I've got a checklist here. You, you look at this and just think, which one would get it to the most people? How could I get my message out? For instance, smoke signals. Lots of people could see that. No one knows how to do it. No one knows what it means, but some people would see the smoke. Or how about this? Stand on a street corner and yell it. Yeah, that could get some attention. A lot of people might hear you yelling if it's quiet enough. Here's a third idea. If you want to get your message out, write a song. Now you think about that. Some songs of the past really have been heard by a lot of people, haven't they? You could write a song. Here's another one I thought about, skywriting. You get that message up, skywriting is still a thing. You get that message up there, millions of people could see it, potentially, wherever it is. Problem with skywriting is it's got a really short shelf life. And I read there are only six full-time skywriters in the world right now. Here's an idea, write a book. That is an important way to get a message out, isn't it? Ever since the 1500s, when the movable type press came out, writing books was a way to get the message out to as many people as possible. In fact, the book Don Quixote, written in 1605, is statistically the best-selling non-religious, non-political uh, uh, book ever written. Some 500 million copies, they estimate, have been printed of Don Quixote. How many of you have read Don Quixote? We'll talk about that in a second. All right. <clears throat> Here's another idea. Make a movie. That's one way to get a message out. Lots of people have made movies, and we don't know how many are reached by movies, but obviously millions can be reached that way. It's impossible to trace that for any one movie. And here's a seventh suggestion, something else. 
How do you get your message to the most people? I want to suggest something else. That something else is social media. And really, that would be the easy answer if your only concern was to get a message out to the highest number of people, to get it exposed to as many people as you possibly could, that would be it. Happens all the time, doesn't it? You look up on the internet, shoestrings for boots. And then the next time you get on the internet, what happens? Ads pop up. Boots, shoestrings, boot polish, boot conditioner, boot cleaner. Boots Randolph, the musician. A book about a cat named Boots. (laughs) So yeah, you got exposed to the message. Down the line, it may even impact your purchasing decisions, but it's not as likely to change your worldview, is it? Somewhere behind all that media machine are people who have come to be called influencers. Have you heard that term, influencers? And maybe you don't like that whole thing. Maybe you don't like that there are people and systems whose sole goal is to influence you, to get you to do something, whether you want to do it or not. They're out there to get you to do it, to influence you. And maybe you wish that there wasn't a whole job market like that. Maybe you wish there wasn't a vocation called influencer, but you know what? There is. Basically, influencers are people who have created a reputation because of their knowledge or expertise on some topic. And they work at gaining an audience. They become more and more popular. The more people who click The more people who like, the more people who post, the more people who retweet, the more people who subscribe, the bigger their following. And then they take that popularity and they sell it to interested companies and individuals. They're called influencers. Now that's an oversimplified definition of what it means to be an influencer, People who are largely responsible for the power of social media. An Instagram influencer. If someone who is an influencer is on Instagram and has a million or more followers, that person will make upwards of $185,000 this year just from that vocation. Think about that. Here's why. Somewhere around 5 billion people are now using social media. Let that soak in. The population of the earth is about 8.2 billion. About 5 billion people are using social media, get this, an average of 2.5 hours a day. That's a lot of hours. That's about 60% of everybody on earth. Don Quixote... 500 million copies 418 years ago. That takes about 16 and a half hours to read. Facebook, today, today, three people are going to spend, or three billion people are going to spend two and a half hours. I did the math. If all 500 million copies of Don Quixote, that book, the the most read fiction book of all time, if that book, if every copy of it was read 10 times over the past 418 years, the rate at which people are on just Facebook right now per day, by comparison, 
would be 14,000 times more time on Facebook than all the time on Don Quixote. 14,000 times more people hours on Facebook. That's just Facebook. And that is why the people who get on social media and become what are called influencers, that's why they're called influencers. Because they are reaching so many people. Whoever produces what's on there is being heard and seen by a lot of people. I'm not the Kardashians. I am not Selena Gomez. I am not Dwayne Johnson or Justin Bieber. And it would be easy, wouldn't it, to be convinced that we're not influential people. Coronado High School, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 1983. Long before there was internet or social media, a student in an AP English class was troubled by the way that the teacher openly mocks Christian values in his classroom and leads the whole class to laugh about it. So he arrives early one morning to catch the English teacher, Mr. Klein, in his office. Mr. Klein, he says... I need to tell you in person, I really don't appreciate the way that you make fun of things that I think are important. It's out of place to do that in your classroom. Mr. Klein says, well, you'll just have to get used to people laughing at things you believe in. That's how life is. You can't change the world, Sherm. Mr. Klein's words stuck in my head. Was he right? Is the idea of being an impact, a godly influence in the world just a lost cause? Surely not. I have a God that I serve who tells me something else. At its core, that just sounded wrong to me. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is somewhere in Galilee. Galilee's kind of the, he's in the kind of the back 40 (laughs) on a mountain somewhere, teaching his disciples and apparently others who have come to hear him. It is the first century. Poverty is the norm. Rome rules the Jews with an iron fist. Very few people are educated. And Jesus is in the region of Galilee, Nowheresville, where dreams go to die. And he's speaking to crowds of people who are gathered in the outback because there's this new teacher who is different, a teacher who speaks to them with authority. He's not like the scribes that have been teaching them. He's different. And he is speaking to them as if their lives actually mattered. He describes life in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, he calls it. He says to them that they can be a part of it. And he tells them that Being a citizen of the kingdom looks a certain way. And then he tells them something that must have been very hard for them to imagine. Jesus looks at this crowd and in so many words says to them, you are influencers. Not only would they not know what that word meant yet, but that would have been hard. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice he did not say to them, try to become that, or imagine being that, or maybe one day you will become. He looks at them and says, you are 
the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are people who influence the world where you live as aliens and wanderers. Wow. What do you suppose Simon Bar Benjamin, falafel salesman, uneducated, poor newlywed who lives in a little village and makes his living as a simple craftsman does with that? More importantly, what did Jesus want him to do with that and what does he want us to do with that? This part of the Sermon on the Mount points out something that I think we really need to take to heart this morning, church. I'm speaking to followers of Jesus. We are too easily convinced that we can't make a difference. Are you hearing that? What hope is there that we could possibly make even a little ripple in the sea of human history? What difference could we possibly make? But Jesus says to those crowds listening to him, the citizens in his kingdom are people who impact their world. So I want to say in a line this morning that the Jesus life includes influencing the world around us with the truth and the power of God's kingdom. I believe that this morning. Now how is that possible? I'm glad you asked that. You and I are surrounded, I want you to think about this this morning, we are surrounded by the witness of the power of little things in the world that cause big impacts. Little things like that get together, for instance. When little things get together, small, you know, snowflakes are really small. Snowflakes are these tiny, fragile little things. Somebody weighed them. It takes like 235 snowflakes to weigh as much as a Hershey's Kiss. Okay. <laughs> on their own, snowflakes are just not very intimidating. You can blow on them and they melt. But you know what? You get enough snowflakes together, they'll shut down the interstate. They'll collapse roofs. They'll create a raging avalanche that is deadly and destructive. Little things getting together. Termites are just little critters. Tiny things, but when enough of those get together, they can really do a lot of destruction. And they can do a lot of building, too. About five years ago, some researchers discovered a giant complex of termite homes. Mounds in Brazil, is in northern Brazil, covers the area about the same size as the country of Great Britain. 200 million termite mounds. They estimate it's around 4,000 years old it took them. What can a termite do? Well, they can do a lot if they get together on it and have enough time. Cells. Cells are just little tiny things. But you know what? Every one of us is made up of them. The reason I can see you this morning is because you're made out of billions and billions of cells. We all started out as just two single cells that came together and made a, a single cell called a zygote. And then it began to divide and to divide and to divide until it grew up into, well, you. Little tiny things. And that's what happens when enough cells all get together in the right way. They do something big. Small things that come together accomplish a lot. Small things that are in just the right place can also accomplish a lot. There are a lot of those. James talks about the power of a small thing. It's in your mouth this morning. It's called a tongue. He says if we put 
bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so big and driven by great winds, yet they are directed by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That little tongue. Words. That's what he's talking about, isn't it? Words from a person's mouth of one person have impacted the course of history. The Proverbs say, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Chapter 25 says, with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Don't worry, someone once wrote. Don't worry if your job is small and rewards are very few. Remember that the mighty oak was once a nut like you. Small things put in the right places can make a great impact. Amen? Let me point out also that small things put into the hands of God accomplish big things. God very often has chosen to use what seems small and insignificant to us to do big things. God took dirt and made the first man took a piece out of his side, fashioned the first woman. And between the two of them, they populated the entire world. Hebrews eleven twelve looks back at a small situation and says about Abraham, therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God parted the Red Sea with one man and a stick. He used one boy, one stone, to fell a giant named Goliath and routed an entire army. He used a simple young virgin in Nazareth to be the woman through which God would enter the world. Jesus used 11 disciples to start a world movement. Jesus took a little boy's simple lunch and fed a multitude of people with five loaves and two fish. Don't ever forget that small things put into the hands of God can make great impacts. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, helping them to remind them of this fact about themselves. Chapter 1, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Anything placed in God's hands, given over to God, will accomplish what God wants to accomplish with it. The key is placing it into God's hand. So when Jesus looks at crowds of people and he looks at you and me and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's not write that off. 
Let's not act like he doesn't mean that. Instead, what we need to do is dig for what it means, and we need to search out how to make that a reality that we live daily in our lives. Can I get a, okay, let's do that. Let's do that. Can we? Let's talk about salt and light, first of all. Salt of the earth, he says. First century, salt was much more utilitarian than it is for us. Salt in that time was how you kept things from rotting. It was a purifier. It was a cleaning agent. They even, get this, when babies were born, they would be rubbed with salt. I don't know what that does for your complexion, but it's what they did. It was an important part of their culture. Jesus told the people who were listening to him, people who are hearing about life in the kingdom of heaven, they are the salt of the earth. Light of the world. You know, in the first century, in your home, you didn't have electricity. Lighting came in two ways. One was called sunlight, and the other one was called lamps. That was it. Lamps were little clay vessels that held a wick, and they were filled with oil. Wouldn't it have been great to live in a house where there wasn't such thing as a flashlight that didn't work? Let's think about that. But there was no other way to see at night, especially in a dark house. And Jesus told the people who were there listening to him, people who were hearing about life in the kingdom of heaven, that they are the light of the world. Let me tell you this morning a couple of observations that I see popping out of this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the first one, as Jesus said these words. And that is that by God's design, there is a distinct difference between the person living the Jesus life and the rest. There's a difference. Salt is supposed to be salty. <laughs> There's some science. Actually, if salt is salt, it is salty, period. If not, then it's useless. It's questionable if it's even salt. What if salt loses its taste? What happens if salt ceases to be salty? How do you make salt salty again? What do you do? Salt it? It's like asking, what happens if water dries up? How do you make it wet again? Water it. Think about that. The point is that salt serves its unique purpose only as much as it remains useful. It must be kept useful. It must be used for its purpose. That's what it's all about. Lamp is the same way. It's supposed to provide light. If it is lit, if you light a lamp, it does. It, it lights. That's what it does. You can see it just like you can see. When a city is built on top of a hill, you see the city. If a lamp is lit, you see the lamp. Just like salt, light then has to be put to use. What does Jesus say? You don't light it and cover it up with a basket. You put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. Otherwise, what good is it? When Jesus said those who follow him are salt and light, what was he saying, by the way, about everybody else? If he says to you, citizen of his kingdom, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, what does that say about everybody else? They're not. They're not. You're different. You're to be different. The people of his kingdom stand out from the rest. And there should be a fundamental difference between the people who are the citizens of God's kingdom and the people who are just citizens of this world. Salt and light. 
Salt that has lost its taste and a light that is hidden under a basket are a description of something that has gone terribly wrong and it is no longer what it's supposed to be. It's a description of people who want to follow Jesus but who have let go of the idea of being distinctly different. There should be a distinct difference between the citizens of the kingdom and the citizens of this world. Here's the second point I think we ought to pull out of this. By God's command... We who want to be in his kingdom must accept the responsibility that that distinction puts on us. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus said that. By the way, this is the part of where he's speaking where it's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not an observation about how things are. This part is a command. You, do this. Your light is going to shine one way or another. That light is going to shine. People are going to see you. Someone is going to be watching you. Make sure that the people see you shining your light in a way that leads them to give glory to God. That's the imperative here. We need to accept that responsibility. Here's a third thing that jumps out at me, that is that by God's description, again, we have a two-part responsibility. Salt and light are two different things, and Jesus gives them both here. I want to revisit these word pictures to try to understand that. They're unique, each of them, in describing some aspect of what we're supposed to be and do as God's people. We are salt, and we are light. Salt, remember, is something more than just what the doctor tells you to lay off of because of your blood pressure. It's an important preservative. It helps keep things from rotting. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that our culture throughout history and today is proving that. When you take away the preserving influence of the Lord's people, the culture rots. From the top of government to the family seated around the table, it turns rotten. And I am not saying that boastfully. I am saying that the church has been finding it too convenient to let that rottenness go on. We found it easy to say that the world is going to go its way and we should just be quiet about it and remain uninvolved. Okay, But what if Jesus said to us, you are the salt of the earth? And what if he warned us about being salt that loses its taste and has lost its effectiveness? Well, then we should probably take an honest look deep inside of ourselves and each one of us ask, have I lost my saltiness? Has the church lost its saltiness? I know, I know the church, the church ought to be, and I believe it, the church ought to be Known for what it is for, not just what it is against. But God had plenty to say clear back in the Old Testament about his people being the ones who pursued honesty in business, who pursued faithfulness in their homes and integrity in our communities and justice for the people of our cities. That was God's people. So being the salt of the earth includes those things. Jesus says we are that salt, brothers and sisters. That's on us. The other responsibility that helps keep that in balance is the fact that we are light. 
When Central Christian Church says hope lives here, I think that we're talking about that. I think we're talking about being the light in the world. Like a lamp that is set on a stand, Jesus says, let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, some have said that you should never let a good disaster go to waste. Jesus reminds us that we shouldn't allow good deeds to go to waste. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. Not that they may see you. But see your good works. Do them with the goal that others are going to give glory to God. Attach the name of Jesus to anything good that you do. That means that your job, approach your job with the attitude that your work is for the Lord. That means as a student in school, do your work with your heart for the Lord. It means don't just volunteer. Don't just do volunteer work, but give your service in a way that directs people to honor God. Be the person who's got the positive outlook. Be the person who's got the cheerful attitude, the giving heart. Be that kind of person who the world looks at and says, boy, it's great to have him around. Boy, it's good to have her around because that person is bringing light into this situation. Be the light of the world. In God's kingdom, what are you? Well, I can assure you, according to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that you are salt and light. And you are everything that Jesus said goes along with that if you are a part of his kingdom. This morning we want to talk about being citizens of the kingdom of God. Okay. I've been mostly speaking to people who are. Maybe you are thinking to yourself, well, that sounds interesting. I might like to be a part of that. Uh, I hope so. I hope this morning that you're getting just a glimpse of the fact that we've got a wonderful Savior, we have a wonderful King who has spelled out what it's like to be a part of His kingdom. And we have found in being a part of His kingdom a wonderful life. And He wants to invite you to be a part of that too. And that's what we're going to do at this point, this morning, is just take these words of Jesus and from there say, His invitation is for you to become a part of His kingdom. If you're interested in being a follower of Jesus, his word tells us, tells you what it looks like, what that's supposed to be. It even tells you how to become a follower of Jesus. We often repeat it because it's the most important decision of your life at a most crucial time, which is right now. When people ask in the scriptures, what do I need to do? How do I become a follower of God? The answer is always this. It's to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe the things that he said about himself. Believe his claims to be not just a man, but God. And if you believe that, there are some, some actions for you to take, some responses to make. One of those is repentance. It means saying goodbye to the old life and turning around to follow the kingdom life. There is the need to express it, just to say, I believe this about Jesus, and be unashamed of him. And there's a need to be baptized into him.
to be lowered in water and raised up again, where God promises he's going to start a new life with you. He's going to put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're going to begin as a new person in him, a new creature every day from there. Maybe you're interested in that this morning. I hope so. If that's you, then this is the time for you to, to act, to step forward and say, I want to be part of that. It's not our invitation. It is Christ's invitation. Would you stand up with me? We're going to have a, a word of prayer. We're going to sing a song here together after that. During that time, if you're interested in becoming a follower of Christ or if you've got a need that you would like to bring before this group of people asking for prayer, asking for people to come alongside you, then this is the time to do that. I'll be right up here at the front to greet you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words today from Jesus that remind us that we have not been placed here by you by, by uh, coincidence or chance, and we have not been placed here uh, in obscurity and uselessness. But Father, you've called us to be significant for you, to be a presence in a world that needs preservation and purifying and light. God, I pray that you would impress that anew on our hearts. Where we have been lazy about that, where we have been uh, timid, Lord, please change us. and Make us more and more what you want us to be. Strong salt, bright light in a world that needs it. Right now, help us to uh, take these words, God, and not allow them to, uh, to fall away from us, but to be dug deep into our thinking and our attitudes. We pray for anybody today, God, who's looking for life in you, that today, hearing your word, they'll find that in Jesus Christ. Please take down the barriers that prevent people from making that decision right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>